pastors here. I'm so glad you decided to be here with us today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series now. Every week we get together like this. We sing some songs to God, about God. And then we look at a passage of scripture together and what it means for our life. We're going to do that right now. So I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. Uh, we're looking for the month of January at a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, which is modern day Turkey. And I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. You can follow it along uh, as I read. If anyone, uh, say that word, anyone, anyone is in Christ, that includes you, that includes me, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of of reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, we're in a series uh, called Do Over, and uh, what we're doing is we're, the kind of the goal of the series is that we would find a satisfying life uh, by allowing God's grace, God's love, God's kindness to seep into every part of our life. And my hope for you is that you would find uh, this, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we've got even a little tattoo, temporary tattoo of it that you can uh, get when you leave out at the start here desk, that you would find out that the old in Christ really has gone and that the new really is here, that you really can't have a do-over. So we've been looking at, uh, the first week we looked at your health, the, uh, next week we looked at your relationships, last week we talked about emotions, we've had a panel each week so you can hear people's stories, we'll have that again today. Um, next week we're going to talk about... <coughs> being reconciled to God. So if you ever had a question yourself about how is it that I actually begin a relationship with God or you know somebody who you think would really benefit from that, uh, make sure they're here next Sunday. We're going to talk in real, um, real detail about that and how, how that happens and what that means. Uh, but today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this right here. We're going to talk about money. Now, I, I don't want you, in the first service, as soon as I said that, someone, I, I, I don't know what, why people do what they do, someone got up and left. <laughs> didn't even hear what I'm like, wait, you didn't even hear what we're talking about. So don't be that guy, all right? Love that guy. I don't know why I did it. I hope he did it for the, because he had to go to the bathroom. But, you know, don't, don't be that guy. Just let's hear, hear it all the way, because the goal here today is that you would you'd walk out with hope about your money, okay? This is not a beat you over the stick, beat you over the head with the stick kind of a, a discussion. Now, but it's true, isn't it? Uh, this... Uh, this stuff right here is the source of a lot of joy and a lot of pain. I, if I walked down, I had to, uh, um, I forgot to bring my own cash, so I had to go to the coffee house and ask if I could borrow a $10 bill. So, but if I walked down and I handed you this $10 bill, which I, again, can't do because it doesn't belong to me. Uh, if I handed it to you, you would feel some joy. You'd go, wow, I went to church and I got $10. How cool is that? On the other hand, if I went down to you and I said, hey, uh, open your wallet, hand me 10 bucks. I need a Starbucks. Uh, you'd feel a little bit, of, you'd feel a little resentment, a little bit of pain, right? Uh, because this, this stuff has the ability to bring either joy or pain into our life. In fact, uh, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, one of the letters in the New Testament, to a guy, a, a mentee, a protege of his named Timothy. And he said, Timothy, listen, um, guard your heart against money because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible. You've heard people say uh, money, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what it says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, you love it, it can create a lot of pain in your life. In fact, Jesus uh, said it this way. He said, listen, 
uh, you cannot serve both God and money. In fact, Jesus didn't say that about anything else. He said the number one thing that competes for our allegiance to God is not, uh, not some other thing. It's this stuff right here. And you have to make a choice as to who it is you're going to serve. Now, you may say, okay, well, you're talking about this passage in Corinthians. Where in the world do you get money out of that? Uh, well, um, we're using this as a jumping off point. The word reconciliation, we'll talk in more detail about that next week, about being reconciled to God, is actually a money word. It's from the world of accounting. And it's, uh, it's about when you have uh, things that are owed to you, that are paid to you, or you owe things and they're paid, uh, you pay them off. This is the kind of, Paul uses that as a metaphor and said, you can have that happen with God. Uh, what you owe to God is paid for you by God so that the books are wiped clean and you owe nothing to God and God gives you everything that he has. And so uh, we're going to talk about that next week. But today, we're going to jump off of that and we're going to talk about some of the things that Jesus said about money and learn what Jesus had to say about all of that. Now, here's what I know. There are two groups sitting in this room uh, with regard to money. You you fall in one of these groups. There's a minority group, according to statistics and um, all the numbers that are crunched, and I'll give you some of those stats here in a minute. Uh, 20% are in the first group. 80% of us, of you, me, uh, are in the second group, right? So here's the first group. The first group is uh, the people who are, uh, what I would say, winning with money. So if you're in that group, you're in the minority in our country today. If you're in the second group, you're not winning with money. Now, what do I mean by both of those things? So you can make sure you understand what I'm saying. If you're winning with money, here's, here's what it looks like. You have little to no debt. You save, and your savings is growing. You invest so that you have money uh, to retire on, pass on to your kids, pass on to your grandkids. You're, you're a giver. You make, use your money to invest in good things, to make good things happen in the world. Uh, but you're in the minority. If you're winning with money, you're actually in the minority, according to all the statistics. Now, if you're not, that means that you're not winning with money. And uh, this is not meant to beat you over the head. This is meant to tell you that you're not alone. Uh, but if you're not winning, it's the exact opposite, right? You have, have some debt or a lot of debt. You're drowning in debt. Uh, you have n- no savings or almost no savings. So you have no safety net. Something bad happens. You're, you're just a bad thing happening away from being homeless or in serious financial trouble. Uh, when someone says retirement, you just kind of chuckle to yourself. You're like, oh, that's funny. Uh, I'll be the greeter at Walmart till I'm 87. You know, I mean, that's like, that's how you think about it. And if you give, it's hard. You, it, if you do it, it's like, oh, you have no margin to make a difference with your money. And you're in the majority. Again, not meant to beat you over the head, just to tell you that you're not alone. Now, this message is for both of you, because here's the good news. The good news is that where you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. The message of the gospel, this is the message of the gospel for human beings. The, the message of Jesus is that where you are today is not where you have to be tomorrow. Today is not a sentence on your future. So the message of the gospel applies uh, to money as well. Now let me give you some statistics on money in our culture. These are just some averages. Uh, you can Google all this. You'll find, don't do it now. Uh, <clears throat> you can Google all this and find all this information if you want to dig into it. Uh, but here's the average debt credit card debt carried by the average household in America. Do you want to take a guess as to what you think that number might be? $16,000. Multiple credit cards, the average balance on a credit card is a little more than $5,000. The average uh, car payment, car debt, automobile debt uh, from you bought, went out and bought a new van or a new car, a new truck because you needed it, $28,000. Average household in America. 
If you have a mortgage, uh, which is almost everybody, and a rent payment, $172,000 is the average mortgage payment. And then if you took out student loans, you went to college, the average uh, person who went to college has $49,000 in student loans today. 80% of Americans, by all the stats, would say, not winning with money, because those numbers are pretty much true of me, I live paycheck to paycheck. Now, it's even worse if you're in the lower third income, because over the last 15 years, your real income has gone down and your expenses have gone up. In fact, in the last year, if you were in the lower third uh, of income earners in America, you spent more on gas than you did in all of your transportation 15 years ago. So it's real, right? This is why people feel, even though we're not in a recession, why people feel like we're not doing okay financially. We're in a mess and we're hurting. We're struggling with money. Now, what does money do? Uh, money measures. That's what money does. That's the sum thing that money does. Money measures. Uh, in our culture, it measures several things. It measures how far we've come. Uh, it measures how much we've achieved. Uh, it measures whether or not we're successful. Uh, do you know that the way we describe a human being in our culture is around money, right? We say someone's net worth, and when we mean that, we're not talking about how valuable they are as a human being and their intrinsic value and worth. We're not meaning that. What do we mean by that? How much money they have. You see how we've, we've changed even who you are as a person? We've tied it to your finances. There's a fascinating uh, book by a guy named Clotaire Rapil, if I'm saying his name correct, called The Culture Code. And he's hired by companies all the time to market and to sell their products because he said that for any issue, if you dig deep enough, you can figure out what a, a specific culture has as the code for that thing. And so he surveys all these different subjects and, and says, comes out with a, a phrase or a word that describes the code about that thing. And when he did money in America, he said this. You will not be surprised by this when I tell you what he found. The word, the culture code word for money in America is proof. I have money, it's proof that I am not a loser. Now, some of you, when I said, uh, you know, you're either winning with money or you're not winning with money, uh, what you heard was, you're telling me I'm a winner or I'm a loser. That's not what I said. I said, you're taking the tool of money and you're either winning with that tool or you're not winning with that tool. And because, because it's a proof thing in our culture, what happens is we say, okay, well, I'll take that to heart. And when we're not doing well, it crushes us. It goes to our, the level of our soul and we feel crushed by it. We feel like we're legitimately a loser. Now, we know that the gospel of reconciliation is that we no longer have to prove anything, that Jesus, our value is not in question with God, and so we no longer have to prove anything, and so we can just see money as a tool. We don't have to see it the way our culture sees it. And so if, if you see it, if you have it in the right place in your heart, then you see it as a tool. And so all you heard me say was some, it would be like me saying, you know, some of you in here are either winning with hammers or you're not winning with hammers. And you would go, well, yeah, I'm not very good with the hammer. And you wouldn't take it to your soul, right? It wouldn't go, I'm a loser because I can't use a hammer, right? You see how it has to go fit in the right place in your soul? Because that's, that's how our culture sees it. It sees it as a measurement of your value as a person. It's not how God sees it. Uh, God sees that money measures, but it measures differently. It measures what you value. Uh, this is how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. We looked at it during our series on Matthew last year. Uh, powerful statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me, re let me reword that. I'll take a little bit of liberty with the, with the language there and give it to you. If Jesus were saying it to us 
today in terms of what we're talking about today. Where your money is, there your values will be also. This is what he's saying. This is, this is a profound insight. Uh, what Jesus is saying is, wherever you place your money, you will automatically have value in the thing that you're putting your money in. So let's, use, let's go back. We, if you go back uh, four weeks ago, we talked about your health. If you want to value, legitimately value your health, go tomorrow to the YMCA and buy a membership and hire a personal trainer and put some money on it. Guess what will happen immediately? Now, it'll be tough. You'll still be a challenge. You'll start to value your health because you're putting money toward it. See, where your money is, that's where your value is. If your relationships are struggling, go see a counselor. Pay them some money. When you do, you're going to go, I'm putting money toward this. Where your money is, there are your values. If you struggle with your emotions and you struggle with shame and emotions are a wall to you like we talked about and these weights you carry around and you want to be free of those weights, go sit with a counselor, pay him some money. I promise you, your values will be different because you put money there. This is a very profound insight Jesus gave. Now, in our culture, we value uh, different things, right? We value our homes. That's not a bad thing. We value uh, cars, maybe too much. You know, we value this. A home appreciates in value. A car, the minute you drive it off a lot, depreciates in value. So it's probably a better investment in your home than in a brand new spanking car, right? It makes financial sense. We tend to not get that right. We have this huge car payment. Uh, we're embarrassed to drive a junker. Um, and so we'd rather spend less on a house and more on a car. So we, we value looking good while we drive down the street. Check out my, my ride, yo. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, we value uh, technology. I just was kind of adding up, just if you have a smartphone and a bill and, you know, you spend $1,200, $1,500, $1,700, $2,000 on technology. So we obviously, as a culture, we value technology. Uh, we value entertainment. Now, this is a number you thought, you thought well, you're going to talk about money in church and you're going to go there. Yeah, I'm going to go there for just a second, right? 4.8% is what we spend on average household in America on entertainment. Going to the movies, I love going to the movies. I love getting there early. I love getting the popcorn. Uh, Kevin Morgan's the manager of the Portage 16. He's part of, he's a real lifer. And he came up to me after the service. He's like, tell him to go on discount Tuesday. Uh, but buy the popcorn, right? And I go early and I make sure that you see the, the previews because I love, I love seeing the previews. I love movies. I love uh, having a family movie night and sitting around the TV. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great, isn't it? It's a great way to relax and recharge. Uh, we spend 4.8% of our incomes on uh, entertainment. We value that. Now, according to the stats, we give toward causes that make a difference in people's lives 2.8% of our income. So, and it's not meant to guilt you. Just what's, you, you see the difference? We value entertainment about two times as much as we value being generous and making a difference with our money, right? And there's all, we could talk about that a lot. Now, let me, let me give you a, a non-religious reason to be a person who's generous. Uh, I, maybe you've heard of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is, was, used to be the second wealthiest man in the world. I think his value is 70 billion plus dollars. He's not anymore, and the reason he's not anymore is because over the last several years, he's given away literally billions of dollars. In fact, he's made a pledge, and he's gone around to the wealthiest people in the world, and he said, you ought to be doing what I'm doing. I, I don't believe that Warren Buffett's a person of faith. I don't know. Uh, but this is, I, I read what he wrote about why he gives. This is powerful. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm sitting with a bunch of certificates of Berkshire Hathaway. That's a company he invested in, I think it, starting in 1962, that I bought 55 years ago. I looked it up. Uh, when he bought Berkshire Hathaway stock, 
it was valued at $8 a share. Do you know what it closed on Friday at? You know what the value of one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock? $246,999.98. Woo! Right? He's done okay. I think he's going to make it. Uh, they're sit- this way says, they're sitting in a safety p- deposit box. They have no utility to me. They can't do anything for me or my family. Here's a lot of money that has no u- u- real utility to me, but has enormous utility to hundreds and millions of people around the world for education, research, and healthcare. And he gives billions of dollars uh, to give away things like mosquito nets and clean water and all that. They can change the lives. This is what he understands about money, because this is what money can do. It can change the lives of other people, but not for my life. I can buy anything I want. So there's a million uses for that money that can really change people's lives. That's powerful. That's powerful. Anybody can do that. Money measures what you value. So if you want to figure out what do I really value, follow the money trail on yourself, and you'll see. You'll see. It measures what you value. This is the other thing. Uh, Money measures your character. In other words... Money is a test. Now, Jesus tells a famous parable in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, it's called the parable of the talents. Now, uh, in that day, talent was a measurement of money, not, you know, can I sing or can I sculpt? Uh, it was a, a measure of money, and it was thousands of dollars. And so it's this, Jesus tells this story about this, this owner of this um, household, this owner of this business who goes away on a long trip, and he entrusts five talents, which would be hundreds, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to one of his uh, employees, his servants, and another one he gives him uh, two talents, and then one he gives one talent. When he comes back and examines what did you do with what I gave you, the one who had five talents had turned it into ten through investing it and taking care of it. The one who had four turned it into or two uh, turned it into four. The one who had one took it and buried it. And the master comes back and castigates the one who just buried it and didn't do something with it. And but this is how Jesus opens the parable, very insightful about me- how money measures your character. He opens it like this, because he's using that as a parable to describe what his kingdom is like. He says this. Uh, we'll put it on the screen. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and let's look at the words that are in, in yellow, and entrusted whose wealth? His wealth to them. This is, why, this is the point Jesus is making. Anything that you and I have is a gift. Now, we have a really hard time with that because we believe that we, you lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You believe, we believe, as Americans, if you just work hard enough, uh, the American dream can come true for you. I'm not saying it can't. But we just believe that's how it works. And we don't see often that what we have is a gift. If you have the ability to sing, you can carry a tune, your voice is m- melodic, uh, and, and you can make people enjoy your singing versus someone who can't sing and people are like, please stop. If you're that person, guess what? You didn't create that. You didn't do that. That was a gift. If you have athletic ability and you can turn that athletic ability into millions of dollars, sure you worked hard. Sure you developed that gift. But guess what? You didn't create that ability to move your body like that. That was a gift. If you have a brain and you can use that brain, you can turn that brain into dollars because you can use your eye and you see how things work and you put them together and you can turn that into You did not earn that brain. It was a gift. If you have skill with your hands, sure, you worked hard. But the ability to get up every morning and all your limbs work and move to get, you didn't do that. That's a gift. See, if if it was true that you just, you got what you worked hard for, then it would be true that for the several billion people who live on a dollar a day, that they would be in a different place. 
I could take you to a slum outside of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I've been there. And the slums are called favelas. And the favelas are run by the drug gangs. The police won't even go in there. They're very dangerous. When I say slum, it's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. We went in there, passed, walked up that hill, all the way up to the top of the hill, and uh, worked with a church there and helped to build uh, a clinic that would provide health care up at the top of this favela. And we were mixing concrete. Now, my parents taught me to have a good work ethic. I have a decent work ethic. I try to work hard. And, but we had on that trip with us some farm kids. Now, I will tell you, if you know farm kids or you grew up on a no one has a work ethic like farm kids. Nobody can touch them. Nobody works harder than farm kids. There were farm kids there, and we had to mix the concrete by hand. And so we're working, and when you mix concrete by hand, you put it in a big pile, and you, you put the rock, and you put the concrete, and you put the water, and you just kind of walk around this pile mixing the concrete. Man, heavy-duty, hard work. And there were these Brazilian guys, young guys, in flip-flops. We brought work boots and gloves. They're wearing shorts and flip-flops. And they're walk I mean, they are whipping our tail walking around this concrete, working harder than we could ever work. If it's true that you just work hard, they ought to be in a better place. They're not. Because why? They didn't get the privileges that you and I got. They were born in a slum with literally no way out. See, we're, it's hard for us to see that. But money is a test of your character, and it's also a way to develop your character. I'm not trying to hit you over the head. I'm simply saying God uses money to test your character, but he also uses it to develop your character. And if you allow him to, your character can grow. Well, I want to give you some help. So uh, some of my friends are going to come up right now, and uh, you're going to hear some of their stories about uh, money and how they use it and what their experience has been, the mistakes they've made, and, and the, the things they've done right. And so if you would you welcome them as they come up here. There, there we go. So uh, these are some of our friends. These are real lifers here, and um, down here, this is Jim Steren. Jim, uh, twenty, what did you say, twenty-seven, 27 years? years? Twenty-seven years built a business from the ground up, and you just recently sold it. You're in a different place in your life, and you do all that kind of stuff. I've been very blessed. Yeah. And uh, this is Chandra Ostrander. Chandra Ostrander worked in banking for twenty-five. Twenty-two years. <laughs> you lied in the first service. It's okay. You're forgiven. Uh, and then this is Amber Alexander. Amber is the CEO of the YMCA here in Portage, one of our partners. She's part of our church. We love the YMCA. There's probably a couple thousand people in Portage who say this is my church home. That's awesome. We want that number to grow. The YMCA serves 5,000 plus people every week, and we want them to succeed because they really meet uh, needs in our community. We love what they do. So um, we're going to hear from them, just hear their story. So Jim, you, uh, you started this business. You just sold it. Um, you're at the other end of the spectrum. But so obviously everything was perfect for you from the no. beginning. No, not right? at all. Isn't that right? What, what was your story like starting um, out with money? Both of my parents had to leave school in the eighth grade because they reached the uh, working age at that time. And they both had to leave school, so they had eighth grade educations. My father and his two brothers were raised in an orphanage. Hmm. And when old enough, they all enlisted. And when they came back from the war... war this is World War II. Right? World War II. Yeah. Um, they lived together for the rest of their lives because wow. it took their three incomes to make a household. Wow. So, um, and when I was in high school, I worked a 4 to 11 shift three days a week so that I didn't have to wear my father's hand-me-downs in high school. That would have been pretty awkward. Hmm. And to help pay uh, for the living. 
And I learned enough from how they managed their money that I was able to go on and graduate from college and paid for my own education. Uh, From the principles I learned, because my mother ruled the house, ruled the finances with an iron fist. Wow. So, uh, Chandra, you you had uh, some interesting experiences with money early on. What Uh, what were those like? I did. So, we grew up poor. Um, I think that's kind of a a common thing. And um, so, when I was 19 and I stayed home and went to college locally, uh, because uh, we were... uh, of at poverty level uh, my college was paid for i got financial aid and it was paid for and um and that was and you said in the first service that it was a generational thing it's just it was like every generation before you it was just the same it, it, story yeah. repeated yeah um, my mom was married off when she was 14 because my grandparents couldn't afford to keep her and mm-hmm. so i mean this has just been a cycle for a long time and so um when i was 19 it was really exciting to be in college and buy all of the things that i never got to have mm-hmm when I was at home because credit card companies love college kids. And so on campus, they would circle around the cafeteria and they'd offer free shirts and free meals and sign up here. And um, so I got into a little bit of credit card debt when I was 19 and um, ended up filing bankruptcy. And because that that was a short term. And and you were working at a bank at the time. I was. Mm -hmm. And then they said, hey, you can't work at a bank and have that happen. Yeah, they they just really kind of didn't like the fact that, um, you know, you overdraw your account, but you're managing other people's money. And so that's not a good thing. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so I quit college because, you know, one bad decision deserves another and another. So now I have credit card debt. I failed bankruptcy. I drop out of college. I'm 19 years old. Um, And then I get married, have a kid, get divorced, and so now I'm a single mom. And bankruptcy, if you don't know, stays on your credit report for seven, minimum seven years, sometimes up to 10. And that follows you. So not only can you not get jobs sometimes, you can't um, get loans to get yourself out. And so I had to learn um, as a single mom, um, we lived in a trailer and I had a car that I said was multicolored, rust colored, and I prayed every day that it would start to get me to work. And um, I had to learn to live within my means. I didn't have any more credit available to me, um, and I had to learn to, to budget and to pay for things. Um, we ate dinner at my mom's a lot because I couldn't, there wasn't money left for groceries at the sure. end. Um, and so it took a lot of work. And so then um, I met my husband, and we com- combined finances, and he had some uh, debt from his first marriage. I had debt from my first marriage, and so we were kind of working through that and took the financial peace class in 2009 Uh, that Dale offered. And one of the cool things that in one of the classes, they teach you um, to get rid of your credit cards. And so Dale gave this to me, Dale Mish. And um, through all the classes at Real Life that they've offered, um, people cut up their credit cards. And so some of our old credit cards are in here um, from way back in 2009, along with several hundred other Real Lifers. Um, And so this was financial freedom for us. And we were able to move past um, a lot of the debt that we had um, to get to a place to where, yeah, you're in a different place we got now. Some freedom. Yeah, yeah. Amber, what about you? Okay. Um, like my colleagues up here, I um, also grew up in humble beginnings. I am the product of a teen pregnancy, so my mother is 16 years and two weeks older than me, 
And my father is 18 years and three months to the day older than me. And I also have a younger sister who's 10 and a half months younger than me. So um, we like to say in my family that my parents grew up raising kids and, and we grew up with our parents. And um, so I watched my parents struggle a lot because neither had a high school diploma. Um, they worked hard for everything that they had and eventually we were able to move out of my grandparents' house and into our own trailer in um, Black Oak in Gary, and um, we grew up there for quite some time, and my parents finally started to get ahead. They, they were working hard and um, saving and doing what they could, and they finally were able to get ahead, and so we bought a house um, out here in Union Township, and um, my dad had started a business. He was an electrician, and um, the, the thing that I learned <laughs> was that you can't, your parents can't give you what they don't have. So let me preface what I'm about to say with, my parents were never raised or taught how to purposely handle money. Um, so my dad started a business and his business failed within five years because they didn't know how to handle money and how to handle their own money and then on top of that, a business. And so um, when I was in the eighth grade, um, it's, that's the year that you decide, or I guess the state decides whether or not you're gonna become a 21st century scholar. And my family made just too much money for me to do that. But when you fast forward to my senior year, I am now working 40 hours a week and have dropped out of extracurricular activities in school to help pay the mortgage to keep a roof over my family's head. Um, and at one point you, were, you said you used to have meals of crackers yeah. and ketchup. Yeah, when we lived in the trailer park, I remember, what, you know, we've eaten saltine crackers with ketchup for dinner and just being grateful for that. And one thing, too, is, you know, we would be grateful when a neighbor would come over and just bring, hey, we have leftovers of our dinner, so, you know, we know you guys are struggling and here's that. So um, that's been helpful along the way. Um, but then fast forward to me going to college now, and I've seen what's happened to my parents. I saw them, you know, work their way up and, and hustle and work hard and then crash and burn. And it was the first time I didn't have to work my freshman year of college. So I got the pizza with the free credit card and I got the t-shirt with the free credit card. Mm. And I also took out a $30,000 private student loan. Wow. That was the worst mistake I ever made and I'm still paying on it today. Um, so I learned through my college experience that um, credit is not your friend. Um, because debt, debt is an industry. Yes, 100%. And, it, and people make money off of people's debt. Yes. Big the money. bank and the credit card companies yeah. want you to fail with debt because that's how they're going to make money off right. of you. And so um, I meet my husband after I graduate college, and my husband is really good with money. He had a different upbringing with me with parents who knew how to handle money and put a purpose to their money. And so he helped me, and we also took financial peace here at um, Real Life. And so we started to work the plan and put some of those principles from financial peace, peace into place in our lives. And um, then we had our first baby, and then we had a second baby, and then our first baby got cancer, and he had a brain tumor at two and a half years old. And so we had some other things that took our focus away from the already lot of debt that I was bringing to our marriage. Um, and so um, by the grace of God, our son is healed from cancer. He went through chemo and yeah, yeah. and um, thank you, thank you God. Um, and so now we took this, this time, this last year to just really focus on getting back to delivering ourselves from this, this financial nightmare. And so uh, while Eli was in chemo, Jeff was home, he didn't have a job, um, so we learned to live on one income. 
And then last year, Jeff was blessed enough to be able to go back to work. And so we just ignored the fact that Jeff had an income for the whole year, and we put his entire income into paying off our debt. So we went from um, January 1st to December 31st from $80,000 in debt to $50,000. We paid off $30,000 in debt last year. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And um, we're teaching Financial Peace University at the YMCA now and helping other families to learn these principles and get themselves out of that. And Jonathan's leading our Financial Peace that's happening in a few weeks. So what, what are some of the mistakes that you see people make about money, especially when you've seen a lot of that, you pointed out the credit card thing. Right. What, what are some of those mistakes? Well, um, part of what I did at the bank, my uh, last position there was um, in charge of operations. And so every day I would see the overdraft report for all of the customers in the bank that were overdrawn. And um, the debit card is what kind of gets you in trouble, not keeping track of those. And so um, people would spend, you know, $5 for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, overdraw their account, you add on a, you know, $25, $30 fee, and now you're paying $35 for a cup of coffee. And so, and that cycle would repeat. Sometimes they'd have five or six debit card transactions clear in a day, $5 or less, and you're getting dinged 30 bucks a time for that fee. Mm. We had customers that would pay six or $7,000 a year in overdraft fees. Wow. It was insane, just not keeping track and, and paying attention to so not knowing where not knowing where the money goes. Right. Something you see. Mm -hmm. And then Jim, just because you've had you had employees. And I, I did. I had sixty-six employees yeah. at one point. And so they would come to you sometimes when they got in trouble. I had somebody who was making a very admirable income who lost his home. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands who yeah. lost his home because he was not managing his money. Right. And so it's not about the the amount of money that you have, it's what you do with Freedom does not come from how much money you make. Freedom comes from how you manage what you make. Ah, say that again. That's good. Okay. Freedom does not come from how much you make. Freedom comes from how you manage what you make. Hmm. You have to know where every dollar is going. Hmm. Every dollar has to have a destination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to sit down, capture how much income you have, yeah. and then start subtracting the things that are essential. Yeah. And after you've paid for all the essentials, what's left is what you have for $8 cups of coffee, sure. for vacations, for Christmas gifts, for all of that. And, and if, if, you, if you do not do that, then you will repeat a cycle of being in debt. Right. So, some of us might think, because uh, you're in the minority because of you know, owning a business and all this. Some of us might think, well, it's, you know all this information. It's super complex, and I could never do that. But you said, I think you said it in the first service. I, but yeah. You learned something about planning. Yeah, well, right. first off, if, if I can do this, anybody can do it. Um, and the planning, if you, um, failing to plan is planning to fail. So and it's not, I, it's not comp that's, that's, you built the whole thing on that. I did, exactly. It's not complicated. Right, it's right. not complicated at all. Yeah. If you do not plan, you will fail. Good, good. Amber, what do you see? Okay, so in teaching Financial Peace University, um, the first thing that we teach people is to deal with money in cash because there's an emotional attachment that you have to your cash. When, when Scott held up that $10 bill, everyone went like, oh yeah, that's a $10 bill. And you had some sort of feeling about that $10 bill. Mm -hmm. And Scott kind of gave an example of that, how you would feel if someone gave it to you and how you would feel if someone took it away. Well, if I hand you a $10 bill and you only give me $2 back and I realize this coffee costs $8, I'm kind of mad at you. I don't want to spend $8 on this coffee and I have that negative effect in my soul that this coffee costs $8. But if I only have to just swipe this little credit card to get this $8 coffee and I don't let go of that cash that I have that emotional connection with, 
Then no big deal. The money's in there. Maybe. Good. Good. Just uh, so in the interest of time, there are people sitting just based on the stats. Eighty uh, percent of uh, of any group are struggling financially, paycheck to paycheck. They might be in a deep hole. Uh, might be just a hole, and they're not sure how they're going to get out of that. What's one thing you would want to leave? everyone with to say, man, if you could do one thing and this would get you to a different place, what's the one thing you would leave them with? I'm going to start with you, Chandra. Okay. Um, track where your money's going. I think that's um, super important. There are apps out there. Dave Ramsey has a good one. Uh, it's called Every Dollar. You can put in your, your amount that you make. You can keep track of everything in that app as you spend it. Um, it really is eye-opening. I didn't say this the first service, but one of the things that Paul and I did when we went through financial peace is we can go on to our online banking. You can download in an Excel format all your transactions for any number of time. So we did that and we looked at our transactions for a whole year. I sorted, pasted, because I'm a kind of data geek like that anyway. But um, the amount of money we were spending on out to eat was insane. It was way, way more than either one of us thought it was. And so for us, that was eye-opening to say, look at all this money we're spending at restaurants, and we could be paying that down on our credit cards, or we could be giving and helping other people, or we could be you know, getting out of debt. And so it, track your money, find that. Um, you're responsible for it. No one else is going to do it for you. Um, the other thing I said in the first one, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna say yeah, two things. Sorry. Um, don't keep up with other people. Manage your own finances. You are the only one that knows your own story. You know what you can afford and not afford to do. Don't keep up with others because they have the nicest clothes or they're going out to eat or they're going on vacations. Um, work within your own budgets because I can tell you that if you do that, you are going to experience a freedom that those that are, are, are living on their credit cards aren't, aren't going to have. Because financially, it's kind of like Facebook or Instagram. People only post the best pictures of themselves. Right, right. And so you're you know, comparing yourself right, to their highlight yeah, reel, right, right? Right. You're right. And so if, if finances is no different, you don't know. You think they're doing fine, but you don't know what they're doing there because they're posted. It's the base, best face, right. and it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I think it's Proverbs thirteen seven that talks about some poor people appear rich, pretend like they're rich, and the rich yeah. people pretend like they're poor. Um, you know, that's what I was doing when I was in high or college and, yeah. and spending on credit cards. And um, I think that as a culture, we do that. Look what I have. Look at my car. Look right. at my house. Um, look at all of these things. But we're just full of debt. And right. so don't make the same mistakes so, I made. Or if you did make them, start now and, and get better. So break up with the Joneses. Yes. Break up, up with, with the, the Joneses. Joneses. Okay, that's good. Amber. All right. To me, I'm going to say make your plan and work it. Hustle. Hustle hard and be scrappy. I mean, uh, when we teach Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey says, sell so much stuff, the kids think they're next. Like, go through the garage. You have that guitar in there. You haven't played it in six years. You're not going to take lessons. Sell it. Later on, when you have the money and the discretionary income, then you can take guitar lessons. Name the dog eBay. Keep this as a focus in your life and struggle, uh, and, and, and just don't struggle, but Push through, hustle. Yeah. That's that's the point. Is just the hustle. It's good, good. Okay. And the path to freedom is in your plan. When you sit down and you get a plan, you're on the path to freedom. Yeah, great. We say thank you to them.
uh, as, you, uh, as you exit at the door, and if it's not at the door, at the start of your desk is a, a sheet with, with the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It has loads to say about all manner of things regarding money, and there, if you want a, a list of the, the Proverbs, what they say, you can pick that up on the way out. Uh, but we always want to leave you with a blessing. So if you'd stand, and you'll see people around you holding up their hands, that's their way of saying they'd like to tangibly, it's a tangible way for them to say, I'd like to receive a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay. Just receive this blessing, okay? Uh, may you know the love of God for you that holds no debt over your head and does not value you based on how well you've done with money. You're sent now to love God, to love people, and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.